um, these children um, have inspired me today, and I want to take a little little bit of a detour from um, uh, what man's plans were and try to be submissive to what I believe God's plans are for us this morning. I, um, I would be naive uh, as a pastor, uh, naive as an individual who lives in this community, uh, naive as one who has an opportunity to interact with so many of you, though sometimes the relationship is simply superficial, but it's an opportunity to see and watch you. And I would be naive to believe that this room is not full of people who are going through a tough time right now. Not sure where the answer is going to come from. Not sure what the answer is. Not sure what the next step might be. And you're worried. You're worried. And it it might have something to do with finances. It it, it might have something to do with relationships. Maybe relationships within your own home. And man, it's keeping you up at night. just not sure what to do. It might have something to do with a career and decisions that have to be made. It, it may, maybe it's with your children and, and the direction they're headed. And, but man, it's just eating you up inside. It reminds me of a passage of Scripture that we studied a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I guess now. Uh, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is sitting with those who are his followers and they're upset and they're worried and they're afraid and they're not sure what's coming next. And Jesus said to them, don't worry. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Trust me. Know that I am God. That I have everything in my hands. He says to them, yes, It's true. I'm going away. But I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And and if I go, I'll I'll come back. Because because I want you to be where I am. I'll, I'll go. I'll prepare a place. I'll come back. I'll get you. I'll receive you. Because I I want you to be where I am. He reminds them. he, He says... You, you know where I'm going. You know the way. And that's when one of his disciples, Thomas, we come to know him as Doubting Thomas, and this is a question, I guess, that Doubting Thomas, one who doubts, one who's not sure, would ask. He says, Lord, teacher, rabbi, we don't know where you're going. And if we don't know where you're going, how can we possibly know the way? And then Jesus shared this incredible truth that has application in every single person who's in this room. It has application in your life today. Jesus shared this truth. I am the way. I am truth and I am life. I listened to this testimony yesterday morning and and there were so many things that we could learn from what this gentleman shared about his personal relationship with God, but the thing that resonated with me more than anything else, the thing I thought about as I drove home was, you know what, Jesus is the answer. Jesus really is 
all that we need. If you're here this morning, and listen, you're not by yourself. The vast majority of people who are here this morning have that thing, that, that situation, that, that uh, difficulty in their lives, and they don't know where to turn. I want you to know, regardless of what that situation is, Jesus is the answer. Well, Dale, it can't be that simple. It's that simple. Jesus is real. He's, he's here this morning in the form of his spirit. He opens up his arms. He beckons you to come to him. He says to you, I am the way. I'm truth and I'm life. Jesus is all that we need. How do I begin to access this? How do I experience this reality of God's involvement in my life? How do I experience His provision in my life? How do I experience His ministry in my life? How, how do I allow Him to be the one who is the answer to my need this morning? Well, just as there are physical laws which govern the physical universe... So there are spiritual laws which govern your relationship with God. Law one is this. You need to understand that God loves you. That God loves you. The Bible, and here at Avalon Church, we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, that it doesn't have any error. And as we walk this journey that God has us on, that becomes more and more and more clear to us. And the, the Bible says that God expressed or demonstrated his love for us and that while we were his enemy, while we were separated from him, he sent his son to die for us. God loves you. And because God loves you, God has a plan for you. God has a way that he wants to be involved in your life. He has a direction for you. He has a path for you. He has ways that he wants to use you. He has things that he, he wants to do in, in you, in, in your life. Law one is that God loves you, and law two is that we're separated from God because we've all sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned, that none of us is perfect. And I don't think that there would be anybody in this room who would raise their hand and, and say, I, I haven't sinned. We've all sinned. We agree on that. The Bible says that that... That sin, even if it's only one in our entire lives, that that sin separates us from God. It, it, it creates this chasm between God and, and us. It, it makes us his enemy is really what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that the wages of sin or the penalty for sin or the punishment of, for sin or the result of sin in our lives is to be eternally separated from God. It's something that the Bible calls spiritual death. The wages of sin is death. The punishment for sin is death. It's talking about spiritually. It's talking about our souls. It's talking about that which lives forever and ever and ever. And it's our souls that will be separated from God. Forever and ever and ever. Well, I don't believe that. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth. And I'm the life. 
So God loves us, but we can't really enjoy a relationship with him because there's sin in our lives. Law 2 says we've all sinned. The third law says this, that Jesus is God's provision for our sin. That Jesus is God's answer for our sin. The, the Bible says that, that God knew our state, loved us, and sent his son, his one and only son, and that whoever would believe in him or place their faith in him, whoever would, would transfer their trust from their own works to what Jesus did on the cross, that if we would believe in him, that we would not experience spiritual death. That we would not experience the penalty or the payment or the punishment or the wages of our sin. If we transferred our trust to Jesus, we wouldn't experience the punishment of sin. Well, if that's true, then God must not be a just God because somebody's got to experience the punishment and penalty for our sin. Somebody's got to. And if he just says, well, you know, I'll just forget about that. This is why Jesus said, I'm the way. Because he's the one who experienced the penalty for my sin. He experienced it. And when I place my faith and my trust in him, then the penalty and punishment for my sin is satisfied. And so if, uh, if my sin has been dealt with and taken care of, it removes that chasm that separates me from God, and it brings us together. God loves us, wants to be involved in our lives, but I've sinned and I'm separated from him. But God sent his one and only son who gave his life for me, and when I believe in him, it satisfies the penalty for my sin and allows me to be united with God and to have a relationship with him. But that's not all. It takes more than just a knowledge of that. The Bible says that each of us individually must believe that Jesus is who he said he is and transfer our trust to him and have faith in him and believe in him. Then we enter into a relationship with God. When we, become, when we come into that relationship with God, God says, now, I want it to be a real relationship. You talk to me, I talk to you, we walk together, I will lead you, I will protect you. When you don't understand, you can trust me. Trust my character, he says. Trust who I am. We can... We can trust God's character. He says, trust my power. Trust that I not only have authority to bring about things in your life, authority to orchestrate your life, authority to orchestrate events that are going on around you. We call this God's providence or God's sovereignty. Not only do I have providence and so sovereignty, but I have power. 
power to make things happen, authority and power. And my involvement in your life, because I love you, I begin to work things out. Trust his promises. His word is has over 3,000 promises that have relevance to your life today. The Bible, over 3,000. And a lot of the issues that we're facing and a lot of the issues that, that um, are concerning us and are eating us up inside and are keeping us awake at night and, and, and are producing and generating in us more questions than there are, are answers... He has power over those situations. We can trust his character. We can trust his power. We can trust his promises. And his Bible, I promise you, his Bible will address that issue in your life. It will address it. And then when we begin to understand his promise, in other words, you know what his promise is? It's what he says about your situation. It's what God says about your situation. If this is a situation in your life that's been going on for some time, I bet you have heard a whole bunch of people tell you what they think about your situation. Maybe you've read books that reveal to you what some author thinks about your situation. God's promises that we see in the Bible are his way of speaking to our hearts about what he says about our situation. God loves you. And he has provided a way for you to have an intimate relationship with him. I think that one of the things that keeps us from entering into that relationship is that we're not sure we can trust that. Because we have this kind of credibility issue going on in our world today. We don't know who to trust. As a matter of fact, we've kind of come to a place in our lives, many, many of us, where we've decided, I'm just not going to trust anybody. We certainly don't trust our leaders. We don't trust our politicians. Some of us, we, we find ourselves having a difficult time trusting the doctors that are taking care of us. We don't trust the people that are handling our money. We don't trust the people who are in our home. Some of you don't trust your spouse. Some of you don't trust your children. Some of you don't trust your parents. There's this kind of trust issue going on, and it tends to bleed over into what Jesus is telling us about himself. We see it in the 10th chapter of John. We see Jesus proclaiming truth and telling people who he is and what he uh, makes available to them and how he provides for them and how he'll lead them and guide him. And the Bible says that some of the people just said that that, that guy must have a demon in him. We, we tend to have trust issues. Listen to me. A, a lot of the trust issues that we have with what Jesus says well up inside of us because we're watching other Christians. And we're thinking to ourselves, you know what? I, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but, but that guy who says he does, his life's no different than mine. He, he worries just like I do. And he does the rat race thing just like I do. And when he goes through a difficult time, he, he handles it just like I do. And, and there's, a, 
there's this trust issue with the truth of Jesus Christ because of the second song that our children sang this morning. There's a light inside of me, and it comes from God, and so I am bound and determined to allow other people to see Jesus in me. That's the song they sang. And the reality is, is that believers, Christians, are the only Jesus that some people are seeing, and they're not seeing anything that attracts them to Jesus. This credibility, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's common throughout Scripture. In the second chapter of James, the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, said, what good is it if you say you have faith, but there's nothing to go along with that. There's no deeds, there's no works, nobody can see your faith. Matthew 23, Jesus is teaching, and he says, listen to the Pharisees. They, they teach the law, they're teaching the right things, but they don't do what they're teaching. I love this passage of Scripture in the second chapter of Romans. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to Jewish people. These are God's people. And he says, you call yourself Jews. You have great pride in understanding the law. You boast in the law, but you dishonor God because you don't keep the law. And then he says this. The name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is relevant to us today. We're having a difficult time with the credibility of Jesus because there's a bunch of people out there saying, I believe in Jesus and I'm a Christian. But we don't see a difference in their lives. We don't see the difference that Jesus makes in their lives, and so we begin to ask ourselves, how can he possibly make a difference in my life? I'll try something else. We've been studying the Gospel of John since January. The reason that the Gospel of John was written, we find in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus did a whole bunch of incredible things, but all of the things that he did are not recorded here. But the ones that are recorded here, they're here so that you might believe that Jesus is God. And in believing, you might have life, an abundant life here on earth, an eternal life with him forever. In our text, some thought Jesus was crazy when he proclaimed this very truth. Some trusted him, just like today. <laughs> just like today. If it's true that the only Jesus that some will see is the Jesus that they see in you, then we need to allow him to lead us. We need to allow him to fill us. We need to allow him to guide us. We need to allow him to make a difference in our lives. We need, folks, to believe him. We need to trust him. How can we really learn to trust Jesus? If we could, it would greatly impact our life. It would change our life. It would make our life different. It would impact our relationships with our families. It would impact our performance at work. <laughs> it would impact how we forgive it would impact how we serve. It would impact how we, we give. And it would impact how we are perceived and how Jesus is perceived by an unbelieving world. 
Can I share with you just three things, and I'll be very brief, I promise. Three things that I see in John chapter 10, beginning in the fourth verse and going to the end of the chapter. Three things that we see about how we can grow in our belief and our trust of who Jesus is. And I've mentioned these to you. Let me mention them one more time because it's so very important. We've got to learn to trust Jesus' character. That means that we've got to know him. And the more that we know him, the more that we, we trust him. Last week, we, we learned a little bit about the character of Jesus when we looked at Jesus as our shepherd, someone who leads us and protects us and provides for us and makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. Someone who restores our soul. And we, we looked at his character. See, that was, that was more than just this is what he does for me. It was really about this is who he is. This is who Jesus is. This is his character. And we can grow in our, in our trust of his character. Because because we don't understand his character, because we don't trust his character, we begin to interpret difficult times in our lives wrongly. Something bad happens in our lives and we think, well, Jesus must be punishing me. God must be punishing me. But that's not God's character. I've already told you that for those who believe, Jesus has already taken the punishment. God doesn't punish the believer. He doesn't punish the believer. But we don't understand that part of his character, and so we misinterpret things that happen in our lives, and it begin, we begin to, to distrust, have a credibility issue with Jesus and who he is. In my, my relationship with Jesus is grow. I, I need to learn to trust his power. You know, it's nice that we understand that God loves us, that God cares about us, that God wants to involve himself in our life. But if that's all there is and he has no power to impact, has no power to change, has no power to orchestrate, then really and truly, let's be honest, what good is it? And on this spiritual journey that we're all on, we begin to experience his power. And we grow in, in, in our trust, in our belief, in our acceptance, in our experience of his power in our life. When we trust his power, we're more willing to let go of the difficulty in our lives and give it to him. If we don't trust his power, that's something that we want to hold on to, that we want to figure out that we want to work on ourselves, that we want to apply our creativity to, that we want to apply our ingenuity to, that we want to apply our resources to, and it eats us up inside, and it robs us of a good night's sleep, because we don't trust that he has the power to resolve the issue that is in my life. Whether it's financial, or whether it's relational, or whether it's career, whatever it is, whatever that issue is, we don't trust his power because if we trusted his power, we would just hand it to him. If my relationship with Jesus is to grow, I've got to learn to trust his promise. Jesus offers us promises, and one of those promises is eternal security. I want you to consider the impact of this on our lives today. 
all of us have a body, flesh, bone, and one day that body will die. 100% chance. But you don't die because the body's not who you are. The soul is who you are. The, the, the emotional part of you, that's, that's who you are. The intellectual part of you, that's, that's who you are. And the Bible says that that lives forever and ever and ever. And the Bible says that when that body dies, that we have to give an account. If I'm able to stand before God when my body dies and I say, um, Jesus satisfied the penalty for my sin, then God welcomes me into his eternity. If I'm unable to say that, then I'm spiritually dead. I'm eternally separated from God. Now listen to me, folks. One day, the only thing that will matter in your life is whether or not you're eternally secure. Nothing else will matter. Doesn't matter how much money you made or how much money you didn't make. It doesn't matter whether you're black, white, red, or yellow. It, it won't matter about how good of a husband you were or a wife. It, the only thing that will matter is, your, is whether or not you're eternally secure. Now, when we embrace that, when we understand that, when we know that's a part of our lives, whom shall I fear? My eternal destiny is secure. The worst thing that could happen might be a great thing. If the worst thing that could happen is my physical death, what better thing in the world could happen to me? All of a sudden, I enter into the, the, the room that he went to create for me. All of a sudden, I enter into the place that I was created for all along. And so when, that, when I begin to, to allow that to be a part of who I am, I'm eternally secure. I have a relationship with God. I, I, I trust his character. I, I trust his power. I, I trust this promise of eternal security. Whom shall I fear? And this, this security that I have in him, it frees me up. It frees me up to... To, to not worry about difficulties. It frees me up to be bold in my witness for him. It frees me up to, to be bold in, in my serving him. Eternal security. John chapter 10, verse 14. Jesus again begins to refer to himself as a shepherd. And, and here's his promises to us. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. This is his character. He says, I, I lay down my life for the sheep. I, I die for them. I give everything that I am. I give to them. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I, I must bring them also. He, he's referring here, as he's speaking to Jewish people, that that, that, that us, the Gentiles, would be included in his promises. There's other sheep, and, and I'll, I'll call them to myself. 
they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. I, I, I love that. There's one shepherd. And there's one flock. Now different parts. Different parts. Is that the fire alarm, Pastor Jim? Fire alarm? Let me say a prayer. Look, I, um, I feel like we have to respect that, though probably nothing's wrong. So let me say a prayer, and then we'll, we'll orderly um, be dismissed. God, we trust you. We trust your character, your power, and your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Check, check, check. Yeah. All right. Look, can you hear me? Listen. We're going to close. Listen, here's the reality. There are people in this room this morning who do not have the security that they need. They don't have an eternal security. Maybe it's because you've watched other Christians and you're not attracted to that at all. But other Christians are not our standard. Jesus is our standard. And when we stand before Him, He's not going to compare us to other people. Great on a curve. I want you to know this morning that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody has eternal security except by me. We can trust his character, who he is. And we can, we can trust his power to free us from the sin that binds us. His power to do that. And we can trust his promise that once he has us, he never, ever lets us go. That's eternal security that will impact our lives, the way we live, the way we think, the way we respond. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus and what He did on that cross, which was sin, if you've never placed your trust in that, if you've never believed that with your heart, if you've never stopped believing or trusting in what you, your own effort and started trusting in what He has done, then you don't have eternal security, but it's offered to you this morning. And if you sense in your spirit a drawing,
to this eternal security. That's not the words of a preacher. That's the Spirit of God who is in this place, who loves you and opens up His arms and says, come to me. And it's a journey that takes place, and I believe it's the most exciting and satisfying journey that you can experience. If you don't have that eternal security, you don't have that faith in Jesus, then let me lead you in a prayer. It's not the words that are important, it's your heart that's important. But maybe these words express your heart. You can pray this prayer after me. It's a simple prayer. It goes something like this. You pray this prayer if you want to experience that eternal security. God, I acknowledge and recognize this morning that you love me. Thank you for loving me. I acknowledge and recognize this morning that the thing that separates me from you is sin. My choices. And I acknowledge and recognize that you loved me so much that you sent your one and only son to pay the penalty for my sin. And at this moment, God, I'm placing my faith in Jesus and what he did. I trust his character. I, I trust that he is who he said he is. I trust his power to save. I trust his promise to secure me for all of eternity. I begin the spiritual journey. I walk with you. Help me to be the person that you want me to be for your glory. I trust you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if that expressed the desire of your heart, I, I, I ask that you please let us know. Uh, you can leave a name and an and, and a email address at the, at the counter. You can come talk to me personally. You can talk to Pastor Jim. Let us know. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Let me invite you to stand. I know. You're in a big hurry to figure out, was it my child? <laughs> <laughs> don't be in such a big hurry that you miss the opportunities in the lobby. The DBS